It's time to join Montana's very own and your voice for agriculture, Talkin' Ag Lane Nordland, for today's LaneCast. All righty, everyone. Welcome back to yet again another conversation here on the LaneCast Ag Podcast in conjunction, of course, with the Western Ag Network. And as we come into today's conversation, we will be discussing more and more about what is important for farmers and ranchers out in rural America. And uh, our topic of conversation today will center around succession planning, estate planning, and what farmers and ranchers really need to be aware of. It's not just let's make a will and hope everything plays out right after mom and dad are gone. And our program today is brought to you by Bank of the Rockies. They, they of course, are the oldest bank in Montana starting back in 1883. Bank of the Rockies has been built on a foundation of integrity, consistency, dedication, and respect for the people and communities they serve. Come meet the folks at the Bank of the Rockies in White Sulphur Springs, Helena, Livingston, Lewistown, Immigrant, Clyde Park, and Bozeman to help with your banking needs today. Well, as we jump into this conversation today, I'm excited to be joined by two individuals that uh, discuss and help farmers and ranchers on these important subjects when we look at planning for the future. First off, I'm going to introduce uh, Dr. Gary Brester. Of course, he's Professor Emeritus there from the Department of Agricultural Economics and Economics at Montana State University, raised there on an irrigated sugar beet and malting barley farm there near Laurel. He will be discussing uh these important topics with us today and also Grant Gaddis. He's also uh, joining us from Bozeman today and he provides specialized consulting, taxation and advisory services for businesses within agriculture, manufacturing and real estate industries for Pinion. So uh, as we get ready for this today, I know it's actually, it's snowing here up in North Central Montana and Dr. Brester mentioned he couldn't tee off this morning there at the country club because of that snow. But uh, I guess uh, overall, uh, gentlemen, how, how are things going here? today dr brester i'll start with you well it's snowing and i can't play golf so uh you know uh that tells you all you need to know so uh, but uh, it's been kind of a weird fall here grant uh, i hope you don't get used to this i know you're you're new to the the area but uh uh last year it was minus 40 i think this week or something like that because uh, so uh this is not normal uh but uh, but i have been able to uh if you're hardy enough i've been able to get out and play a little golf this past month so uh, yeah, Dr. Bressel, that's exactly what uh, everyone's been telling me is don't don't get used to this. Uh, and I, I, I was getting a little bit nervous that Bridger Bowl wasn't going to open, uh, but it looks like they opened and been watching some of their videos. So great to see that. Well, uh, uh, before we jump into this, uh, Grant, I'll, I'll start with you. Maybe talk about Pinion. Uh, that may be a new name for farmers and ranchers out in the countryside, but it's it, it, there's a lot of familiar faces uh, that are a part of Pinion uh, and uh, also just talk, maybe expand more uh, on your role there with Pinion. Certainly. So uh, Pinion uh, is is new uh, to, to Montana, but uh, came to Montana uh, through the, the merger with Anderson's or Mule. And uh, so uh, about 10 years or so, uh, as, as a firm, we we looked and, and realized that we had a lot of a focus in in food and agriculture and, and really made that that our our prime driver of, of this is where we want to focus our business and, and being in in a position to help clients and, and advise from policy to plate. Uh, so have uh, have uh, folks in, in D.C. helping with uh, various um, 
federal policies, uh, all the way, and then working through the, the supply chain of, of producers, uh, ag equipment retailers, um, and, and various um, production services, getting getting food all the way all the way to the plate is really where we are. And and so uh, Montana was was another uh, big food and ag state that we wanted to. Uh, participate in and and so fortunately uh had the opportunity to bring in uh our friends with uh, from anderson's meal on january 1st and and uh been, been a great partnership thus far well again thanks for joining us here today and uh yeah that uh that weather in bozeman i i always joke when i i never knew that snow fell straight down yeah. Yeah. until i went to school in bozeman i always thought it just came in at an angle but it was just so wonderful the first time that I saw snow piling up on a fence post, I thought I was truly yeah. in a winter wonderland. And but when the wind does decide to blow there, it can be wicked. <laughs> Lane, I, I had a friend from Gillette, Wyoming, a bank president down there who moved to Bozeman and said, uh, until he moved to Montana, he to Bozeman, he never knew that snow could pile up on fence posts from from down to that Gillette country. So <laughs> you're not the only one to have noticed that. <laughs> Well, that's a, a many first for so many of us when when we uh, go to school down there in Bozeman. And Dr. Brester, with yourself, of course, uh, you you are emeritus status there uh, with uh, the economics and economics department. But uh, uh, let, let's talk a little more about your background and then and then uh, why maybe you're looking forward to today's conversation. Yeah. Well, first of all, my favorite subject is me, so uh, I enjoy uh, uh, visiting. But yeah, I, uh, I retired a few years from uh, Montana State. Uh, I was an ag econ professor here for 25 years and seven or eight years before that at Kansas State University. But I got my undergraduate and master's degree here. So uh, I've been around the area for, for quite a while. And I, as you mentioned, I am from, from Laurel, where uh, we, uh, uh, my brother still farms. Um, and, uh, is, and I'm pretty, I'm sort of involved with the operation. I, I get in the way which is what really uh, college professors who retire do. We just get in the way of, of other people. And, and you mentioned, uh, you know, that, that I help farmers and ranchers. I, I actually, I, I think if you ask most people, I just happen to ask a lot of uncomfortable questions of farmers and ranchers when it comes to thinking about um, you, this is a succession planning sort of a podcast, but also just the, the general concept of bringing people, young people, uh, sons, daughters back into an operation uh, as I teach classes here at, at MSU, I, I frequently would talk to students in, in general about, hey, here are some of the things that, that there's no rule of thumb on anything. I'm sure Grant would would agree with that. But there is a certain set of common questions um, and, and conversations that one should have, uh, whether it's involved going back to a farm and ranch and being included or or in the case of estate planning, uh, as you as you started off the, the broadcast with. So when we look at that, I think sometimes people maybe bunch in together succession planning, estate planning, and wills and everything. And truly, uh, they do need to be separated and looked at differently. And so, uh, Dr. Brester, I'll start with you. When when you're sitting down with a producer or, or presenting at an agriculture meeting and trying to, to really maybe open that, and I call it the awkward conversation. Because it is an awkward conversation, whether you're sitting down at Thanksgiving dinner or every morning at mom and dad's kitchen table after uh, doing chores, it's an awkward conversation. So, Dr. Bresser, how, how do you open that door? <laughs> do we want to call it a door or a Pandora's box? I'm not sure. But yeah. what, what, is, what, is that, what has that been like over your years of talking with producers? 
awkward. That, that's the best word. And I come from a farm uh, where these conversations were never would never happened. And and as my older brother got more involved in the farming operation, it became apparent that those conversations need to to occur. And so, you know, uh, with especially young people going back to farming and ranching, you're 21, you're 22. You know, you're, you, you've, you it's, it's dads and moms, right? And so, you know, you're, you're going to be a little bit uh, uncomfortable. But um, I always caution students. I said, look, if you can't have that conversation, are you sure this is the career path you want to take? If 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 the family is unwilling to think about things, grant, you know, what is our net worth? What what is our what is our debt situation? What is our carrying capacity? What is our uh, break-even prices, uh, and what's our net income every year? And 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 is there enough net income there to split with, you, you might think another son or daughter, they don't cost very much, but just get a family <laughs> and, and a spouse involved and some kids. And and, and all of a sudden um, you have to, one of my favorite stories is with Dean Folkford, who I went to school with, and they farm right up here at Three Forks. And of course the, the Wheat Montana story, but he said when he went back to the farm, uh, his dad looked at him and said, what are you going to bring here? Because there isn't enough income here for another family. And, and that was a bit of the genesis of thinking about producing a different kind of wheat, a, a higher protein wheat product, and eventually uh, getting into the, the milling and baking industry. So I, I, I think that's the start. If that conversation is too awkward to have, then a, a young person needs to think about, is this the right place for me? Um, and so, so that, that's where I start from. And, 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 you know, Grant, I, I know you can speak more to this too, but, you know, uh, Dwayne Griffith, uh, the longtime extension economist here at, at Montana state used to say, um, if, if you don't measure it, you can't manage it. And so a, a big problem becomes, where are we at? There are low cost producers, high cost producers. If we're going to expand this operation, we'd better be a low cost producer, um, and be able to compete when prices are low. And expansion, of course, depends upon that. So I'll stop there. But those are some of the conversations that that uh, I tell my students. And I said, if you don't have those conversations, then you got to live with the outcome. You know, I mean, you, you can't expect something to change uh, from that point forward. It's going to be like that for a long time. And Grant, from your perspective, uh, uh, maybe maybe the same line of questioning. Uh, when a client comes in and is discussing you know, how, how do we have these awkward conversations or what, what do I need to bring to the table to talk with mom or dad or my in-laws or um, looking at, at planning this out? I guess, what, what are those baby steps that, that you suggest people take? I, I, I would agree uh, with Dr. Bresser that, that it's, it really starts with, with the conversation and, and what's, what's out there and, and, and understanding how, how, how did, how did it transition when when your parents got on the farm and and certainly that balance of of kind of the the uh the entitlement making sure you don't feel like you're entitled to is is coming into the next generation of is that you're entitled to something or that that the the older generation would would consider you as being entitled but i completely agree that that in order in order for the a business relationship to work everyone has to be transparent and everyone has to know what's going on and being able to see what what impact or value or ideas have have been tried in the past and maybe we need to retry them again and, and see if now is now is the time and and so um even, even just starting the, the the conversation of understanding like is 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 there a, a will or are there state planning documents in place if so where are they like and and understanding some of the the 
those conversations can kind of help to break the ice of of saying that that I we 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 don't want you to, to die anytime soon, but God forbid something does happen. Where do we start? How do we what's the what's the first five steps that we need to take in, in the first month after your passing? How do we what's important to you? Uh are are big questions that that I spend with our clients and understanding what are you, what are your goals? What do you envision uh for the farmer ranch and and how how can we then lay in the the estate planning aspect of it? So I I, I sep separate estate planning and su succession planning by estate planning being the mechanics, the the wills, the trusts, those kinds of things. The asset transfer, how do you do that? Where the succession planning, it, in in uh, my opinion, is is growing the next generation, bringing them up in the uh, in in your values, traditions, those kinds of things. That's the succession, and and how do we make that as smooth as as possible? Well, so gentlemen, as we look at that, I I, I kind of like where Doctor Brester was going with that in his opening comments. Is you know uh, whether it be a son or a daughter wanting to come back or, or look at it and 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 talk about coming back there, but it, I, I guess it always comes down to: is there enough income? to add another person to an operation. And uh, I guess, what is the best way to break that down? Well, let, let me, I'll start first, Grant, if you don't mind. But first of all, I want to agree absolutely with, with your comment. You know, we, we forget um, and we try not to think about it. Um, but agriculture, production agriculture is the third or fourth most dangerous profession in the U.S. And mining, logging, and I think there's something else. But you know, I mean, things happen and, and everybody who I know who lives in an area lane, you've lived your area a long time. I've lived, we've all known of people that have had a farm accident and I know of three or four in my little, my, in Yellowstone County, just my little area, you know? So I think that that's really important. I think the other part of this uh, then becomes uh, not only income, but also what, who's going to make decisions? I mean, am I going to be a hired man the whole time? Uh, uh, am and how are we going to title assets? So, you know, when assets starts coming in and you're going to buy something new, um, you know, are we going to purchase a, a piece of equipment together, which uh, my brother, when he started working with my dad, made a decision early on to never do that because, you know, it, it just, it, you know, buy something on your own, that sort of thing. So it is yours. But those are the kinds of, of conversations that people, as they are thinking about moving into a new operation, um, uh, you know, who's going to make the marketing decisions? When are we going to sell cows? How, uh, how are we going to manage risk? You know, those kinds of things. So I'll, I'll stop with that. But those are the kinds of things in addition to understanding the financial situation of the operation, which leads right into, is there enough income here? And, and, and if there's not, uh, it's sort of my Dean Fulford example. Uh, what are we going to do to create that income? And it could be off-farm income. It could be expansion if, 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 if that's uh, uh, financially feasible. Um, and so, so those are the kinds of things that I think of when I talk to young people. So I'll, I'll, let, I'll let Grant respond. I, 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 would, I would completely agree with that is, is knowing whether, wh whether there's enough income or not and just kind of having the, the conversation of just this is where we are and, and if, if the opportunity is there, let's talk about it because some, some people might interpret that it, it's not there and, and then they never they decide to pursue other paths and, and um, while quietly in the background, mom and dad are thinking, well, why, why didn't they come back? It's like, well, they didn't they didn't really know. And, and mm -hmm. 
when when a when a conversation like when the decision is made to to come back to the farm, really set, being upfront and clear guidelines of okay, where where are we at? Like, what's what is the next three years look like? What decisions, where areas do you want me to grow in? And and be, having a clear plan to kind of refer back to at, at, from the very beginning, where day in day out you can kind of get down in the weeds and and it, it, like just continue operating. Change is hard for everyone, uh, and and so. Um, thinking about bringing other people in, into the marketing discussions and things like that doesn't necessarily always happen. But if you have a plan of saying, Hey, in six months, you're, we're going to start participating in, in marketing together. And then in by 18 uh, month, 18, that's going to be your responsibility. And that's what, what we want to do. Um, I, just, I think a, a big step that often gets overlooked is, is agreeing on the front end and, and, um, when when we set up an entity or, or something like that, our biggest thing is is we want we want people to understand how are you going to get out of this if things don't go right, yeah. and, and have had cases where we can't agree to to operating agreement provisions. So we kind of come to find out that like hey, you, this partnership is is doomed from the start and and probably better not to go go down that path. But um, looking at some of those. Dr. Brester. All right, I, I'm just going to follow along with you. Um, I always think of this as suppose that uh, Grant and I wanted to go in partnership and own a retail store uh, down here in the mall. What are the kinds of questions we'd ask each other? You know, what, what's our investment? <laughs> you know, we'd have a partnership agreement. We would have an exit strategy in a partnership agreement that if this is not going to work, we're going to go our, our, our separate ways. So that's critically important in these discussions to think of it in that business partnership. And I, it's hard to do with family. I, I mean, I, I get that. I've been through that myself, but, but those are the kinds of things that, that can really solve. Some problems. And by the way, it might, you might decide as that young person coming back that, you know, this isn't going to work or at least it's not going to work now. You know, it may work later, but it's not going to work now. That's a really important thing to learn. And Grant, you mentioned, you know, three to five years. Well, in those kinds of discussions, um, it, it's pretty easy right now to think about almost $3 calves. Well, you know, for many of these operations, there's there's going to be enough income if we have three dollar cash, but we won't forever. And, and this is as an economist, I, I do talk with people about if you're thinking about expansion, if you're thinking about the next 10 years, what price of cash or wheat or whatever else you're growing uh, should you be thinking about? And, and really, you, you really want to look at about some kind of a longer term average, maybe a 10 year, the past 10 years or something like that. the reason is, is markets, markets function. And when prices are high, producers produce more. Uh, that's what markets do. That's the beauty of markets. Nobody tells anybody to put more acres in or expand their cow herd. Um, the, the invisible hand does that. And as a result, when more animals, more grain ends up in the market, prices decline. And of course, the converse is true when prices are low, although it's harder to accept it when prices are low, that things will eventually get better. So that's a really important aspect that markets work that way. So. Um, using the lowest price or the highest price you've seen in the last 10 years isn't a good long-term projection. It, it's going to be, and by the way, I'll just real quickly add, if you can't make a living at this longer-term average price, I don't, Grant, I don't care if it's 10 years or 15 years or 20s, whatever. I mean, you know, it, it sort of trends itself out. If you can't make a living at the long-run average price, then you're a high-cost producer because there's enough people who can. Otherwise, that long run average price would be higher because of the entry and exit, meaning the expansion and the contraction 
of uh, of production. So you need to know your costs. Grant, you mentioned it before as well. And then you need to kind of compare that to not kind of, but you need to compare that to um, what has the long run price of calves been in the last uh, uh, call it 10, 12, 15 years. And that gives you some idea then about can we be larger? Can we produce the income that when can we survive those years where prices will be low that that's that's just what markets do especially in commodity markets uh where where essentially anybody can raise wheat i mean uh, a barley farmer can produce wheat they, they know how to do that right and so um uh those are the kind of economic aspects that that i like to visit with and 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 of which i can bore people for many many hours actually if if you wanted me to but i'll stop there Grant, do you have anything to add there? Uh, I, I would agree. I, I think looking at, at a realistic um, long-range average and, and making making it look like it, and then test it test it in, in the bad years and, and saying, okay, can we survive a, a couple of years? Because the the uh, most valuable asset that we have is, is our family relationships, and and uh, we can if if we. It, it, there, things things will be great when when market prices are up, but when they're when they're in the tank, we're struggling and wondering how things are. We're, we're going to make payroll. That's that's where we're, where family relationships get tested, and and making sure that you have a a, a clear picture and and um, thought and belief that hey, we we can make it through the bad times, um, and and not not turn to conflict and, and lose our family relationships. So uh, you know maybe expanding upon that really looking at that long run average price, whether that's for the livestock industry or the cropping end of things. And, and obviously sometimes you can diversify a little more in, in a cropping situation. You know, we, we've seen uh, over the past few decades, more pulse crops come onto the market and what we've seen pulse crop markets uh, go down the tubes too, but uh, they're firming up a little bit here. But, you know, I, I think a hemp, hemp was going to be the savior of Montana agriculture uh, two, three years ago. And uh, I, I'm not downplaying it, but uh, it, it didn't, uh, the, the prices didn't uh, occur quite as fast as a lot of folks thought. Uh, we are seeing a lot uh, of folks, especially during the pandemic, jump into that direct-to-consumer model for beef or pork. Um, I have seen people exit that market just because when beef prices at the grocery store come come down, that that impacts them a little bit, and and uh, and uh, that's unfortunate. And I want to see people succeed in the in that place. But when we're looking at maybe adding a different value chain into an operation, uh, I, I guess how do you caution? Uh, folks, when you're planning that, how, how do you put that into that long run average price, but not be dependent on, because I think of hemp, I, if you were going to be, you know, we're going to make $2 million in hemp and include that in the price that, that, that really didn't pan out, I guess. So what are the pros, the caution when, when we're looking at these conversations of adding more value to your operation to bring one or two families back to that, that farm? Uh, I, I can start, Grant. Uh, you know, when when uh, one of the one of the truisms in economics, and it doesn't have to do with markets or anything else. It has to do with human behavior. There ain't no such thing as a free lunch. And so, if you see this opportunity, you have to ask yourself, why does it exist? How long will it exist? And more importantly, how much risk is being added in that process? Now, that doesn't mean you shouldn't do these things. It means that you need to uh, uh, carefully evaluate. Uh, there's a profit opportunity, um, recognize that it likely will be, if it's a commodity, relatively short-lived, 
But then that's that's when you have to start thinking about, well, wait a minute, am I good at this? Is this something I'd be really good at? Would I be good at spending my weekends at a farmer's market? Uh, I'll tell you one person right now who wouldn't be, and, and it's the guy with his hand up. I mean, I, I, this, this, you know, I, I'd rather have a paper cut in my eye than sit there all day and try to sell something to people. I mean, I, I just can't deal with this. And so you know, do you have the skill set? You know, uh, do you have the entrepreneurial skill skill set? Uh, I always use my buddy Dean Volkford. You know, I mean, you know, he'd sell ice to Eskimos. That's fantastic. I I don't have that skill set. Um, of course, he rode bulls when he was in college too. I didn't have that skill set either, or lack of mental acumen, whatever it might be. But but uh, you know, I, I, and so you have to match your skill set with these kinds of activities. And plenty of people can do it, as you mentioned, and others can't. Uh, I always worry about the risk component, uh, the risk of of moving one's competitive advantage, one's focus from doing something really well to starting something new. There's always a learning curve, and it take, often takes away from your primary um, mode of operation that maybe you've been around 100 years in your family if you're raising calves in Montana. Um, there's nothing wrong with these things um, as long as one evaluates them uh, completely. And, and Grant, I'm sure that you've worked with some people who have done these both successfully and unsuccessfully. Absolutely. The the, the financial models and, and projections uh, with the variables that, that go into it, you can you can have them tell, tell you whatever you want them to tell you uh, if, if you're not realistic. And, yeah. and so I, I completely echo of, of Making sure that you're in in a spot that that you understand your your expertise is going to bode well, um, and and knowing that that the risk uh, could it, could be there and and jeopardize your your uh, your core business off that that's that's the uh, got to make sure that that uh, you're. Um, floating floating the, the main the main boat and and making sure that 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 and then the opportunities uh can can shoot off of that so well and so looking at you know obviously uh, creating more revenue and whatnot too it's really hard to do if if that ranch is is paying taxes uh when, when someone passes away or maybe the family business isn't uh, set up in, in the appropriate type of uh, uh, LLC or S corp or whatever that might be. Grant, I'll, I'll maybe center this more uh, for you to start with. When you're sitting down with a client that, you know, maybe has had an existing business uh, model for 30, 40 years and, and the kids want to come back and be a part of it. Uh, where are we looking at restructuring that that business or or becoming that l we we all know how easy it is to create an llc um or uh, i think escorts are probably the best tax model currently to probably be in to to save a little bit of tax money uh, i i guess let's talk about the the benefits of just being ready to go and have these conversations and, and working with someone like you at pinion yeah I, absolutely i i think that that there's uh, a lot of great vehicles, LLCs, partnerships, general partnerships, S corporations, and, and understanding what, what is going to be best is, is a case by case. Um, so what, one of the things that, that, um, right off the top is, is first consideration is, is understanding is that this new entity going to impact your farm program payment limitations? And, and do you need more than one limitation or things like that? Because as soon as you add liability protection to an entity that caps your, 
uh, payment limitation to one to that entity. Uh, no matter if you have 100 individuals that would qualify underneath that, uh, you're still limited to that one payment limitation. So sometimes in, in ag, we, we see a, a general partnership uh, structure for USDA uh, type payment um, qualifications, which general partnerships are, are not not a great uh, thing for liability, or they, uh, they don't provide any liability protection, which isn't a great thing. But uh, in farming, that it's understanding what what uh, payment limitations are there, and and so that that would be one uh, is for the operations of understanding what qualifications would look like, uh, and and two is is being able to segregate your um, valuable assets, so land, uh, from your um, more the more inherently uh, risky assets. Uh, so having a land entity helps from uh, a self-employment tax per se, uh, savings as well. So uh, as if making as you run your Schedule F, you're subject to self-employment taxes, which is about fifteen percent. Uh, so that's that's the benefit for from the S corporations. They can can help uh, mitigate the, the self employment taxes. But uh, by realizing land rental or self rental income, uh, that that income is not subject to self employment taxes. So that can be one strategy to get a little bit of be best of both worlds uh, from from that perspective. Uh, so I'll, I'll I'll pause there and and Dr. Presser, any any things that you would add into that. I, I just made some notes, Grant, because I didn't realize this payment limitation would be would be uh, important. Of course, it would if the operation certainly is large enough, as many as many are uh, in the state. You know, I um, uh, in thinking about that 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 process of transferring to, um, there's been a lot of commentators uh, in recent years say, well, you know, uh, farmers just never let go. They 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 farm forever. You know, they and there's a couple of reasons for that. More recently, technological change being one. I mean, running a combine is much easier today than when I was a kid. Um, I'm even allowed to do it because you know, in the old days, you had to kind of be you know out in the open and and so you you know you can you can operate equipment longer. You can you can do um, some things at an older age because there's less physical. Uh, activity involved. That's one reason. But the second reason, and, and Grant, you may want to respond to this, is 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 capital gains taxes. You know, uh, a farmer, uh, uh, if you if you've got somebody that you're going to eventually give the place to, bequest uh, to, um, selling it makes no sense because of the capital gains taxes on many of these things. So one reason that we've had, if you look at the census of agriculture, it's very clear the average age of producers has certainly increased, and I think is. It's probably for both of those reasons, some on technological change, but some of it simply if, if, if I die and, and we give the place somebody, we get a stepped up basis for that new entity. And, and then if they want to sell it, they've avoided uh, those capital gains taxes at that point. And, and, and Grant, do you run into that a fair bit? Have you seen that sort of activity of sort of waiting? <laughs> uh, I hate to say this, waiting till you die, but in reality, that we all can do that sometime. Do you see that in your operation, in your, in your business? Yeah, absolutely. Farmers and ranchers uh, tax is a, is a is a very bad bad word, and and uh, so oftentimes we just build this deferral that that it gets bigger and bigger and bigger, and and if it, the day comes like it's 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 time it's time to hang it up, you can't uh, from from tax perspective, and and so that the waiting till uh, you're passing and getting that step up in basis, uh, and if if you're structured in the right entity, that that will step up the basis in your equipment and and everything that that in theory can be sold uh income tax free and and so 
the, the genesis of, of that was that with the, the estate tax exemption being so low and uh, historically was was the step up in basis uh, was to mitigate so you don't get double tax on upon the death. And, and so the step up in, in basis uh, was uh, something that that uh, President Biden campaigned on. Uh, it's been in, in the Green Book proposal for uh, several presidencies and, and understanding how, how do we eliminate this tax loophole for the rich? um and and it only impacts the right of, of having so that is something that's is still a great tool that's that's there but there's some uncertainty uh with our national debt load and and everything of of what revenue generators are are going to go away and and the step up in basis and the estate tax are, are a couple uh that that can generate grant with with uh, if that went away I would suspect that accountants and, and attorneys would be very busy on, on transferring a lot of these operations into maybe a subchapter S or a subchapter C, something wh where, the, you know, it never gets sold, right? I mean, there's always, uh, there, there, there's this continuous, is that, would you anticipate that happening, um, that many of these operations would have to go that route or would that route work? Let me just start there. Yeah, yeah, uh, potentially the, the S, S corporation or C corporations can have have some places. Uh, something that we've seen uh, work in in um, transitioning operations prior prior to passing is the utilizing installment sales. Uh, and, and so selling, so, uh, I, I would tell you my operation on an installment sale, mm. and I recognize the income from that sale in, in the years that, that, I, that you pay me principal on that note. Um, and so that helps us avoid the, the peaks yeah. of income tax brackets of, of if we can stay at the 24% tax bracket generally is, is not, it, don't love paying tax, but it's not a, a horrible tax rate to pay at compared to the, the 37%. So that's one thing that we've uh, utilized and, and hey, it's important that we go ahead and, and transition. We need to transition assets uh, for certain reasons. Uh, the installment sale is, is a great tool to, to do that. And, and grant that installment sale, then basically you have the the parents carrying the paper, um, exactly. on that, and and at least that way the the surviving the parents are still there. The older generation they have an income source then uh, uh, for the years down the road of 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 that agreement. Is that is that how that would work? Yep, that's exactly right. That's exactly right. And yeah. the, the parents would would continue to to generate revenue from that. Um, mm -hmm. And and so there's a, a lot of different variations where we where we've seen of of uh, retire as to mechanisms for retirement is um, living off the land rental income mm -hmm. uh, and the installment sale income. Those those kinds of things um, is because that that's a, that's a very important piece of it too. Is is recognizing the work and and sweat equity that has gone into Sure. Uh, running the operation for the for the last uh, 30, 40 years and making sure that, that they're able to to uh, live the retirement they want and, and have the protection with, unfortunately, with nursing home medical care costs anymore, that, that that's a can be a significant uh, concern for folks. Lane, can we switch this up? Can I be the MC for a little no, while? No, I'm totally yeah, fine I, with that. I, I mean, because this, my voice. this just brings up something you and I had talked about uh, uh, regarding um, the, the the complexity of having more than that one son, the one daughter, or two of the siblings involved in these transfers. Uh, we 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 talked about that a little bit, and uh, uh, you know, uh, uh, if, if it's a single person coming in, uh, some of these things work. W what have you seen, Grant, when there are uh, this transference 
occurring when there's, let's say, uh, two or three siblings, maybe two, only one is still there. Who's put, you mentioned sweat equity, you know, that, that as that person has worked there has probably kept a lot of these places functioning well. I mean, look, I'm old, right? I don't do the things like I used to do either in terms of productivity. And I, that's true for farmers and ranchers as well. Um, so you've got this uh, uh, person that's really done a lot. And then all of a sudden we're talking about a three-way split. Uh, what, what have you, what have you found when you've run into these things? Yeah, that it's a the phenomenal point and and unfortunately something that that families often don't talk about until it's too late sometimes. And yeah. and so uh what when when we're having conversations with with families and how how do we deal with this? Um it's you're exactly right. Be, having to go to an off-farm heir and say, Hey, we need to buy this new piece of equipment. And they don't they don't they they kind of know what it is, but it's like, wait, wait a minute, didn't you just buy one of those three years ago? And it doesn't doesn't click in, in that conflict, right? Of of yeah. of where things are at in in marketing, right? Is 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 a very highly and so that no no credit is given when marketing is done great, but uh, <laughs> some cr criticism comes quick with uh, with when when it's not not done so well. And and so uh, what what we often like to do is is separate separate the the operation, the business lines, and understanding okay what's important, who are the key people uh running those and and what are some of the things the um because there's there's benefits and risks to being the one uh, owning the operations and and so yep. segregating the land is is one thing that we've we've seen work a lot there's no perfect answer for anyone uh, or any family but uh where we can se separate the land the land is a generational asset uh that then can earn earn uh, rental income and then make distributions out and and um, so that's something that, that it, pretty much any, anyone can be a landowner and, and, uh, in that point of view. Um, and then with, we, all, uh, utilize buy sell agreements. So saying, Hey, if everything goes wrong, we've, we've drawn a lot, we've set the rules of the, of the sandbox. And if someone wants out, mm -hmm. we're going to do it in a manner where the, the business and the operation can sustain that. And, and so typically would be setting a, a sales price that's paid over 20 or 30 years. And then by the end of it, you can, the the person selling out, it's like, well, I would get about that much in land rental income, and at the end of the time, still continue to own. And and so that's um, one one tool that we've uh, seen utilized by by a lot of families. But that where you have operations and and decisions and and not saying that it can't happen, but clear guidelines of of okay, where's where does your vote come in and and understanding the, as a board of director member structure rather than a day-to-day -day. what what are your decision points a, a couple of comments you know these things work pretty well when there's profits but when there's losses um it, it's easy to give away assets and profits it, it's really hard to give away liabilities and losses and so that that creates this other thing you know we have these ups and downs it may not have anything to do with marketing it's just markets you know uh, do that that's one thing the, the other thing is i I listened to a really smart uh, uh, set of uh, farmers up at the grain growers meeting one year. We did a kind of a pre-conference on estate planning. And, and one of the smartest things I heard, and I just continue to use it without any sort of recognition of the person's name, but which I should do. But, you know, he, he had mentioned something along the lines that that fair isn't equal and equal isn't fair. That that, you know, someone who you know, even under the share arrangements that you've mentioned, you know, you have questions of, well, can I be outvoted on on the purchase or the sale of something? Uh, but also, um, even in the case of the land being separated three ways, let's say, 
is it really right to have you know a third of the income that's generated from that place from given the risk that's involved in the work and all that sort of stuff uh is that is that really a, a right way a, a reasonable way to go and in some cases it is and and in some cases uh it, it isn't um i i had a, a grant just a, i don't know if you've heard of anybody doing this but at the same conference uh, uh, one uh, one really smart gentleman said you know he said, my, uh, we, we've just taken out, we've done this differently. He said, we've got, we've got a son or daughter, I don't remember which, who's been completely involved ever since graduating from college, been here 30 years. And what we've decided to do is take out life insurance policies on my wife and I for the other two kids. We, each one of us has one. There's a sole beneficiary. When we die, it's whatever number you want to use. You can buy it at any level you want. And, and said, look, that's your, that, that's what you get, you know, as opposed to thinking about, splitting income, selling a piece of property that maybe made the operation work and it won't work afterwards. So I thought that was uh, uh, something I had never I never thought about. I thought it was really, really intriguing. And this was, I don't know, probably 15 years ago when I heard this story. Do you, do you see those things happening, Grant? Yeah, we have. We have. Of, of uh, Yeah, that's that's a great um, point is, is having other assets, uh, investments, or certain things that, that aren't necessarily tied to the farm operation and being utilized to, to uh, give give other uh, children something, uh, and 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 from that, I, I think that that um, having the conversation and 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 telling the story, right? And and my uh, I heard somewhere that that in in the absence of, of a story, people will, will make one up, and, <laughs> and uh, so if if there is no story. Uh, then mom and dad are gone. Then it's something. Then then that's where conflict is is going to blow up. But if it's hey, this is what's going to happen at my passing, yep. and then like it kind of opens the door of like if you have an issue with it, talk to talk, come talk to us, and we'll tell you more about why. Oftentimes, it's not nothing is going to get said, and and so even if someone does feel like it's unfair, uh, but I, I completely agree with you. Fair isn't always equal. Uh, that that uh, we we understand that the conversation is, has been had and can be processed before there's a lot of emotions. Okay. Uh, Grant, I've certainly, even in my own life, my, my mom, um, after my dad passed, my mom said, look, I've, here's what, here's what we got. We've got, we, I've got three brothers. She said, it's going to be 25% for everybody. That's the story that you're talking about. She said that my mom, when my mom said that, you just said, okay, well, <laughs> because that's how it was going to be. Right. But, but she said, you know, and, and so we know, right. We know where we're starting from. We know we're starting from the base. And then, then we can start saying, well, do you want 25% of selling the place right now? Or do you want 25% of the, the cash rent that we generate, which isn't very much after property taxes and other things, but you know, that's the story that we started from. Um, not, not, well, I thought mom told me, you know, sort of thing. She just told us all, said, look, here's what's going to be here. I've got a will. As you mentioned, you should have, and uh, uh, she said, "This is what we're going to do." In her case, fair, equal was fair. That and and that's fine. That's her decision, and so uh, uh, that makes things a, a lot easier. When when we uh, when my brothers and I went to see the attorney probate, take care of all those kinds of things that you're well aware of. Um, the attorney looked at all four of us and said, "I want to be a member of your family. No one's arguing about anything." I said, "Well." We had a story to start from, and that makes a pretty big difference. Although I don't know if he really wants to be a member of my family. But anyway, um, that, that, that was the anecdote he told, at least. Well, gentlemen, uh, we do need to take a quick commercial break and thank our friends at Bank of the Rockies. We'll be back with this really insightful conversation right after these words. 
Bank of the Rockies is the oldest bank in Montana, started in 1883. Bank of the Rockies has been built on a foundation of integrity, consistency, dedication, and respect for the people and communities served. At Bank of the Rockies, many team members grew up on Montana farms and ranches, so they understand the unique challenges and opportunities of the agricultural world. Bank of the Rockies has long supported agricultural community needs and understands the importance of building up the next generation of ag producers. Bank of the Rockies, above and beyond. Well, as we come back to our conversation today, really talking about being able to pass on a family business, uh, uh, particularly in the farm and ranch sector. And uh, uh, we're joined today by Dr. Gary Brester, Professor Emeritus from Montana State University and Grant Gaddis with uh, Pinion. Um, we are really uh, diving in there of just having uh, plans in place, looking at different options. And uh, uh, Grant, I'm going to maybe put you on the spot a little bit. I, I did get to hear your uh, uh, one of your coworkers, uh, Kevin Beardley, uh, talk last week at the Montana Stock Growers Association Convention. It kind of caught me off guard when when he said, unless you have minors, uh, children under the age of 18, uh, there's really no point in having a will. Having a succession plan is way more important. I, I guess uh, uh, for our friends that weren't able to attend that meeting in person and hear him directly, I guess uh, what 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 was the, what are the key reasons why he would share that with us uh, from your perspective uh, on the CPA front and family planning aspect? Yeah, so so the the will is 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 a purely mechanical uh, document that says. This asset that mom and dad owned now is transferring to the children. This is how they get it, when they get it, and and things like that. And and so just a will and is is a very mechanical uh, document. And and so just because you've received a farm or ranch doesn't mean you can operate one. Uh, and and so the the statistics of of how many I, uh, I think only less than ten percent of businesses succeed past the third generation. Um, and, and so that that's something of, of being able to know of, okay, here's, here's where, um, how, how to operate here, the, the people that, that we've done business with or, or kind of the, the tribal knowledge that, that can be passed on through succession plan. That's, that's what's important in keeping an operation together, uh, being, if you get that call and it's like, okay, I've got to come back and, and run the farm or ranch. I, who yeah <laughs> gary would, would you know where, where to start of, of how how that that yeah it would be very difficult and and you bring up that third generation uh aspect of it and, and i've always kind of observed that third generation makes it or breaks it um and i i don't think that necessarily is on being successful in the countryside that may have a little bit to do with it uh um, you know, uh, grandpa, dad, they worked hard, they built it up. Maybe, maybe there's, maybe the place has paid off. Uh, I, I do, I do see people, uh, that have debt and maybe are expanding or buying in maybe, uh, uh, maybe have a different view of that when, when they're in debt and, and a third generation person has a paid off place possibly if, if that's the scenario. But I, I think the death tax is also maybe or a state a state tax if we want to use the correct term of that that does play a, a role in when when we're passing these on and that third generation by the time they get taxed three different generations in a row um i guess grant could you expand upon that and maybe also if you can share how different administrations have used the death tax and changed that and, and maybe what the current uh, exemptions are for the death tax and what they've been uh, compared to what they were uh, a few decades ago or just a few years ago. 
Yeah, absolutely. Great, great point. Uh, a 40% haircut at each generation uh, has, has a huge de detriment in understanding where does that money come from? It's either selling assets or it's going in and refinancing and, and taking on more debt that you've already paid off once or twice uh, as it is. And, and so, uh, so the current exemption for, and for 2024, since we're winding down the last, uh, last few days of, of the year here, uh, 2024 is each person can either give away or pass away with 16 uh, or excuse me, $13,610,000 per person. So as a married couple, uh, it's about, 27 million that, that you can pass away before a 40% estate tax is, is assessed on anything over that. Um, that was was changed uh, in 2017 with the Tax Cuts and Jobs Act. And, and uh, in order to pass it under budget reconciliation, uh, that budget has to be budget neutral. Um, but looking at our, our uh, national debt, not sure if I, I totally uh, agree with that, but uh, a lot of the good things that, that came out of the Tax Cuts and Jobs Act are, are going to start sunsetting, and the estate tax is one of those. Uh, so start January 1, 2026, the exemption is going to be cut in half. Uh, so that would be roughly seven to seven and a half million based on, on uh, inflation is where we're looking at that to, to come in uh, from there. And, and so we're in, in a unique time where we have this extra bonus exemption uh, so if uh, planning uh, is, is necessary and looks like, hey, we were either right on, on the cusp of that 14, 15 million dollar uh, exemption or we're over that or it's it's not it's not as when the law rolls back, but really when, when you pass away. Uh, and, and so looking at what growth of, of land values and, and other assets. You're not you're not suggesting that people sort of do some planning on when they want to die based on this. Are you? I'm just, I just want to be clear. I'm making notes here. <laughs> yeah, that's right. The, I, I, with uh, with uh, George Steinbrenner uh, passing away in 2010, he he's the one who who passed away in the year of no estate taxes. But, yeah, uh, yeah, that's that. Yeah, you're exactly right. If, if um, you don't don't want don't want to die for tax purposes. Um, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but uh, yeah, so. So it would be some current current year planning uh, or or planning uh, through uh, use of trusts or other things like that okay. uh, that, that can get assets out. Now, it, it's so. like my dad when whenever he'd have hail insurance and it wouldn't hail, he'd kind of be mad writing the check. Said I didn't get to use it. I said you didn't get to use your life insurance either. I don't see you complaining <laughs> about that, you know. So <laughs> and, and, and that's yeah. right. He asked me to go to college. I mean, that, that asked is a polite word, but so anyway, that, that's, how that, that's how that all transpired. But that's what, funny. What I found interesting, uh, Grant, the other day when your colleague Kevin was uh, talking at Stock Growers is, you know, when agriculture, uh, agriculture groups really, uh, uh, the, the state tax, death tax, whatever you want to call it, that, that's a big issue that they always lobby on, that they talk about politicians will put in their ads. And what I found so interesting is back in the mid 2000s when Republicans had the votes to actually repeal that, uh, that death tax and they didn't do it because uh, Hurricane Katrina hit. Um, I just always find that interesting that politicians uh, still campaign on that. But back in the day, uh, obviously, that that horrible natural disaster occurred and you had to pay for that damage somehow. But uh, I, I just kind of snicker now in the last few days since I heard that, because uh, obviously I was in elementary school back when that occurred. But, uh, um, you know, I, I guess when we look at that, 
And you, you talk about how we know that there's always a sunset and every administration is going to do something different tax wise, or maybe it's not going to be a full repeal or those sunsets are inevitable, uh, depending on who, who's in power or who's in the White House. Um, you, you mentioned how we can maybe move things around. Uh, what? And I know we, we don't have the crystal ball and say, what, what what's it going to be in that next tax plan? But as of right now, what, what are some of those um, suggestions you make with your clients on how we shuffle land or assets or whatever that might be in, in the time of the, when that succession does take place? Yeah. I, so the the way that the Tax Cuts and Jobs Act was was passed is is going to kind of create a, a political football for our, our tax laws. Unfortunately, prior to that, taxes ha- hadn't really changed since 1986. Um, so think of the, the first Top Gun uh, movie coming out. That and that's that's how long it's been since uh, tax law had, had changed uh, in in a substantial way, like it did in, under the Tax Cuts and Jobs Act. So we so we don't really know. Uh, the one one thing that, that we always talk to our clients about is is it's very hard to change something that's that's been done in the past. And so the grandfather uh, is is very real. Um, and and so uh, what what we like to utilize is, is uh, what what are called uh, intentionally defective uh, irre- irrevocable trusts or spouse lifetime access trusts. Our our mechanisms to get assets outside of your taxable estate for estate tax purposes without changing the income tax consequences. Or treatment of those, and and so that's that's a vehicle that we can utilize the high exemptions that we have today to get assets outside of the estate, not subject to estate taxes, um, but still have some flexibility in order to retain cash flow and and being able to receive installment notes from that trust that are actually aren't taxable. Uh, those that so uh, that's that's one very uh, powerful tool that, that uh, we've utilized with, with clients and, and I think is being used, utilized all over the country right now is um, setting up the, the trust while we have these high exemptions. And in I, 2021, I, I think when the build, first version of Build Back Better uh, came out was uh, the, these types of trusts were, were on the chopping block. Uh, and, and so it was a, a wildly uh, busy time for us because it was a, a, an effective change going forward rather than, than a change uh, in, in the past. And, and so that's, is that always going to be the case? I don't know, uh, but at least we have, have something, a um, little bit of presence of grandfathered working in the forest. Now, Grant, obviously- Lane, can I make a quick comment here? Grant and your listeners may not know this, but Lane, I first met Lane when he was in one of my classes. And um, I just noticed that for some reason, he seems to become a little cynical as he's getting older. But but then again, I knew him when he was 18. So, uh, you know, maybe, I guess we all do. So. <laughs> Imagine that. Yeah, I thought I was going to be governor when I was like 16, you know, and yeah, active. Yeah. In the I voted for you, but didn't do any good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You wrote my <laughs> name in, right, with Mickey Mouse. Um, yeah, I, I, we're, we're coming up on an hour of our conversation today. And of course, uh, brought to you by Bank of the Rockies. Uh, uh, th- these are important conversations. And we're seeing it. We're seeing less farmers and ranchers out in the countryside. States like Montana, we, we know that uh, folks are coming in. That Yellowstone effect definitely driving the cost of land up. And and you know, so many people think that uh, farmers and ranchers are rich. Well, we know a lot of the time we're 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 land rich and cash poor. And uh, just having a plan in place, uh, looking at that future is so vital. So these 
family operations can stay in business or maybe a first generation producer can come in and purchase some of these lands. Um, maybe, maybe for, you know, I guess, what would your tip be on that? You know, we, we are seeing a lot of herds being dispersed right now. I, I'm really jumping on it. You might, I don't want to make you late for your appointment, Dr. Brester, but we're, okay. we're, we're seeing a lot of herd dispersions across the West right now. Obviously uh, record low cattle numbers. We're seeing wreck. I, I mean, I, I was selling, uh, cows the other day, dry cows through the ring, getting close to $1,300 after the, all the fees were paid. I, I, I'd rather have that bred cow, but that's that's ridiculous. I'm, I'm glad to have it so I can buy re some replacements. But we have these ranchers that are saying these are the highest prices I'm ever going to see. I, I think it's time we, we sell the herd, and we've seen a lot of operations do that this fall, and they may do that in the spring too. What, what are some ways that maybe a, a ranching operation or a farm could maybe plan to, you know, maybe it's uh, a, a, the, the children are in their 60s or 70s and mom and dad are now, uh, you know, maybe they passed away and they're, they're like, we're going to sell this land. We, we haven't farmed or ranched in a long time. What are some ways that they could structure that grant so that maybe a first generation producer could come in and uh, rent to lease or rent to own or buy that and, and, uh, because we know that developers love to pay a lot of money for land too. Yeah, it's a, a very um, difficult thing to to come in and and, and start an operation. Like, is coming in the capital intensity uh, of of agriculture is is tremendous, and looking at, at coming in. Um, so it is it is going to be based on relationships and and seeing if if people are willing to give you opportunities. And so, yeah, a lease to own type uh, operation or where where uh, the landowner is willing to carry uh, carry the note for you. Uh, I know there's also some some good programs within the FSA office to to be looking into and and making sure that that those are are considered and and look for kind of the first time farmer uh, uh, monies uh, that 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 can potentially be out there. Um, but yeah, that 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 also there there's not going to be a lot of people that are willing to um, hold hold that installment note or the lease to because it's. You're in, you're inheriting the risk of of the land the the lessor that that's going to come uh, uh, lease lease or buy your ground. So, and uh, I and again, there's probably no tax benefits at this point around for uh, uh, say four three or four children that are in their 60s, 70s that you know maybe they do want to do this lease to buy. There's probably is there a tax benefit currently, and and if there's not, I think that should be something our legislators work towards and trying to include in a farm bill or uh, tax code yeah yeah great great question there there would be um so it, it would it would help avoid the the spike in income and and so on on the capital gains you reach the 20 percent capital gain uh rate at about six hundred fifty thousand for a married couple and and so uh staying below that you're at least at, at a 15 percent capital gain rate um uh, which which can save some dollars and and so certainly being uh, mindful of that uh, if you are in that situation where you are selling, I, I would just make sure that that uh, you're taking advantage of farm income averaging, uh, making sure that you can kind of shift some income back and utilize some of the lower brackets um, in in that um, that situation. But uh, looking at, at those types of operations, also thinking about you know, doing 1031 exchanges um, would be another way to diversify out and and go into uh, something that provides some some mailbox money of uh, and residential or commercial uh, rentals, those kinds of things. So, 
Dr. Brester, any questions or expansion on, on, on that topic? I can't expand on the tax implications. I, I'm so glad Grant's here to do that. But I would say that, you know, as you mentioned, how can this operation be successful down the road? Um, as Grant mentioned, anybody new coming in is very difficult. And that's not typically where farms and ranches, how they've been transferred. I mean, typically it's somebody, even though you see some trophy ranches being bought by people and there's absentee ownership, it's a small percentage of what really happens out there. Although it does influence local prices, no question about that. But I think I, I come back to my sort of my earlier comment as we finish here and just say, you know, if if you are either heading back to that farm ranch or, or have been back for 10 years and haven't had these conversations about the financial aspects of the operation, uh, I, I think I think you're making it very hard on yourself, A, to be happy down the road and B, to be successful down the road. I, I think um, uh, it, it's always hard. Right. And but but knowing where the situation is, is very often enlightening because uh, there are people who finally just say, you know, people sometimes leave these situations and they simply didn't know what, you know, where they were at. They said, I don't like, and if they would have known a little bit more about the, the, the financial side of things, they may have said, well, that makes sense. Let's just, you know, work towards this goal. But if, if those conversations can't be had, either because you don't want to initiate them, which <laughs> I, I understand that too, or the other side, the, the parents don't want to talk about it. Boy, a person's really got to shake their head and say, is this, the, the world I want to live in for the next 30 years of my life? Or, or do I want a really successful and, and, and uh, a highly paid career like being an accountant? I mean, I, you know, I, I, you have to start thinking about other options because uh, I don't know, I'm old now and I'm, I'm, I'm amazed at how fast time goes and one should enjoy what they're doing uh, regardless if that's farming and ranching or a diesel mechanic or, or being a, uh, 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 a, a radio personality like Lane, you know, you, you, you need to enjoy what you're doing. And, and boy, when you don't have full information on these things, I think it's very difficult. And I think that makes um, not only unhappy, emotionally unhappy, uh, uh, but tears some families apart. And, and so much of it's needless and, and just some, some, uh, uh, some hard questions and some, and some conversation starters uh, uh, can be very valuable. And, and, I, and I continue to think about the success of those operations, continued success of those operations. Uh, those things need to be done. And the older generation, like me, has to be willing to let go a little bit. I mean, I mean you, you simply, you know, how do you get new people in? Well, the older generation has to say, I'm going to let you do that. And I have several ranching friends who have done that. And it, they just they just grind their teeth about what's going on, but but it, it's different. It doesn't mean it's wrong, you know. And and I, I think those are those are things that people just have to. Um, even some of us in our sixties need to grow up once in a while and go, okay, it's different, but that doesn't make it wrong. So uh, th that's my summary. Grant, some concluding thoughts. Uh, I I think we may have to do another one of these episodes and and continue our conversation here down the road. But uh, any last thoughts you would just like to share with our viewers and listeners here today? Yeah, the 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 journey of 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 a thousand miles starts with with one step, right? And and so just starting the conversation, and and, and it's it's not going to go perfectly, no matter how how hard you try, uh, and if it's not going the way you want seek seek input or from other uh, other people advisors uh neighbors friends those kinds of things and and ha have the conversation and and realize there there are going to be opportunities where where you fail and 
fail fast, fail forward, and and figure out uh, what what opportunities there are, and and how how do we learn from that? Dr. Bresser, in my experience, the best place to start is talk to mom first. That, that that's that's usually a pretty good starting point. <laughs> Well, that's a good tip there to, to wrap up our conversation. And uh, again, I, I really appreciate both of you joining us here today. Dr. Gary Brester, a professor emeritus there with Montana State University's Ag Economics and Economics and Grant Gaddis with Pinion. Uh, again, awkward conversations, but important conversations to, to keep family ranches and farms in business. And again, a big tip of the hat to Bank of the Rockies for uh, bringing you this conversation. Uh, of course, they are a great egg banker across the state of Montana. And don't forget to stop by their many offices uh, in White Sulphur Springs, Helena, Livingston, Lewistown, Immigrant, Clyde Park, and Bozeman, or give them a, a ring or visit them online and, and they can help you also with all those ag banking uh, needs that you may need to expand, stay in business, and just be profitable out in the countryside. So with that, gentlemen, I want to thank you for joining us here on the Linecast Ag Podcast today. My pleasure. Thank you so much, Grant. Thank you. Thank you, guys. All right, friends, that will do it for today's conversation on the Linecast Ag Podcast. We'll catch you next time. Thank you for tuning in to the LaneCast with Talkin' Ag, Lane Nordland. For more on Lane, check out his Facebook page, Lane Nordland Ag Broadcaster and NordlandCommunications.com. Don't forget to subscribe to the LaneCast on your Apple or Android devices. We look forward to joining you next time on the LaneCast.